This is G'day World 269. It's actually an interview I did with Tony Smith from roamfree.com a couple of months ago, but uh, he asked me after the interview to embargo it until today, the end of July, when they were uh, going to be launching the site. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed. Roamfree.com is an online accommodation booking service with a twist, and uh, Tony Smith, the guy who is behind it was also behind uh, Schoolies Week, a phenomenon that all Australians will be familiar with. This is his latest venture. So uh, join me in a minute or so for my interview with Tony Smith from RomeFree.com. We have a legacy of freedom and privilege, which has been won by hard struggle, hasn't been given by from above. It's been one, but we have it, and we can use that uh, to help people who are suffering seriously uh, if we try. Well, the singularity is a future time which will be profoundly transformative, where the machine intelligence we're creating will be billions of times more powerful than our own biological intelligence. Well, you, what's next for Robert Scoble? What do you think you're going to be doing three, four years from now? Oh, geez. Uh, well, hopefully uh, we've We'll have a successful launch of Longhorn. I, I want to stick around for my, with Microsoft for at least four more years. Around what I call the because effect rather than the with effect. In other words, I can make more money because of my blog than with Anything my blog. Anything of this magnitude only happens because enormous numbers of people want it to happen and are willing to commit time and energy and money. G'day world, this is Cameron Riley. You're listening to G'day World on the Podcast Network. It's the 2nd of April, 2007. My guest today is an Australian online entrepreneur who is about to launch a new online travel booking service that's a little bit different from what you're used to. Tony Smith, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cameron. Now, Tony, before we get on to the new service, roamfree.com, the Australian audience is going to know your last business uh, very well, uh, particularly under the name of Schoolies Week. Now, you were one of the guys that uh, jumped on the whole Schoolies phenomenon very early on. You must have been, what, in your early 20s? Oh, yeah. I started um, selling packages for school leavers when I was 22, so it was back in 1989. And um, the first year I operated, we got about 180-odd kids booked through us, predominantly from the eastern suburbs in Sydney. And then it just uh, sort of grew from there. And uh, three years ago when I sold out, we um, through schoolies.com, we, we, everything went online. We were getting um, just over 30,000 students a year booking through us. Now, I come from uh, southeastern Queensland. I finished high school in 87. Now, I kind of remember people talking about schoolies back then. I, I never went down to the Gold Coast for it. I, I couldn't afford it. But uh, it, was, it wasn't the phenomenon that it is now. It was a thing that uh, some kids did, but it seemed to really take off in the late 80s, early 90s, didn't it? It just became huge. Yeah, look, I think that, um, you know, it's like any great event. The word of mouth is normally the best, you know, form of advertising. And it seemed that every year, so many kids would go. They'd go back and they'd tell all their um, younger siblings. And you know, the uh, the myth of schoolies sort of grew a lot quicker than probably the event did. And uh, you know, we just found that every year our bookings would go up by at least a hundred percent. And you know, they just sort of grew to a point where the last couple of years that I was doing it, we actually couldn't find any more accommodation for people to stay in. 
Now, I was, uh, we got a mutual friend, Chris Mellican, uh, a former colleague of mine from many years ago, and he's been a mate of yours, I think, for many, many years. Now, I was, I was having lunch with Chris last week, and he was telling me about Rome Free, and he said, yeah, the guy who started at Tony Smith's uh, was the guy who set up schoolies. And I, I've I got to be honest, obviously, I missed this whole thing. I mean, I, of course, I've heard of schoolies, but I had no idea that it was, there was actually a business behind it. I, it to, I always thought it was just a bunch of kids who went down to the you know, various beaches in southeast Queensland to get drunk uh, at the end of the school year. Uh, had no idea, but I've obviously been doing some research before getting on the show today. This thing was absolutely huge, wasn't it? You, you ran a company called Break Free Travel. Which uh, then was a you know there's a couple of on you floated it and then it was acquired and all sorts of stuff went on. You ended up exiting it, I think. Was it last year? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, Schoolies was sort of one of the first things that I started with, and at the same time, I started organising um, end of season holidays for sporting groups. So, you know, pretty much uh, that was the business for a number of years, and then uh, got to about. Uh, 2000, year 2000, 2001, I thought, look, rather than just specialise in um, these niche markets of schoolies and sporting groups, I'd like to um, expand into owning resorts and actually put normal people, I mean, normal's the wrong word, but uh, people who go on holidays all year round rather than just specialised groups into these resorts. So uh, I went out and I bought um, 27 resorts sort of spanning between Cross Harbour and Port Douglas, and I um, rebranded them under the brand name Break Free. So they they fell under Break Free Resorts, and the holiday side of it was the school leavers and the the sporting group travel. And then I took the the total business, which was known as Break Free Limited, and I floated it on the ASX in um, 2002, September 2002. And you know it was quite a journey. Then the company went from 20 staff to 1,500 staff over about a 18 month period. Fabulous story. This this predates, uh, you know, some of the other online travel plays in Australia that people might be more familiar with, like a, a Webjet or a WhatIf.com. I've met the CEOs behind both of those companies, and uh, I mean they're doing a fabulous business. Which leads me to your new business, Rome Free. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Rome Free, which I believe you're kind of soft launching this week? Yeah. Oh, look. One one of the things. Uh, well. When I was running Break Free, I mean, in the end, we had 40 resorts, and there were. Uh, it was always a big challenge to deal with the the online industry and and just the whole way people, the trends of what people were doing were changing, and people were changing from going and booking through the traditional means, which was, you know, over the phone and and uh, going to their local travel agent. They were actually people started to go online in their droves, and the thing with uh, if you're an accommodation provider, to be able to deal with the plethora of websites that are out there the challenge is to be able to connect all of the accommodation places to all the websites who want to be able to sell them so Rome Free has really been driven by the necessity to develop a system that connects accommodation places with multiple websites so really the uh, the drive for us is to be able to connect one accommodation house with as many as a million websites or one website with as many as a million accommodation places so that's sort of really how it's come about. 
So take us a little bit through how you're going to do that. I mean, I know nothing about the accommodation space, so forgive me here, but these hotels, I imagine, have some sort of software-based booking system in place at the moment run by some of these uh, big you know, booking-related uh, software plays. How do you interface? Are you going to find a way of interfacing into all of these backend systems and then aggregating this together through one interface, or is this your own software you're you're rolling out? Yeah, we've actually developed our own software, and primarily what it does it connects with whatever the accommodation provider is using now, and many of them are using uh, property management systems that they've had in place for a number of years, and quite often they have some other online solution. Uh, in place as well, but saying that, there's probably less than 10% of the accommodation industry who's actually really been able to meet the challenges of online bookings. So our system connects either to their property management system or whatever system they're using for online bookings. It then creates a uh, virtual inventory system, which then uh, can be connected to as many websites as they desire, because obviously the, the challenge is to be able to deliver to consumers the ability to be able to book online real-time. People have sort of moved past the uh, process of wanting to be able to sending an email and then getting a response back a day or uh, several days later. People want to be able to book immediately. So uh, we're really we're fixated in the middle piece and uh, we'll also have roamfree.com, which will be a site that consumers can go to to be able to search, compare, see availability and book and pay directly with the accommodation provider. But it could be our middleware that connects to any number of websites that allows their consumers to do exactly the same thing. And you've got this uh, affiliate program running. So I could, if I understand correctly, almost uh, skin or white box your solution and turn it into uh, TPN travel off the TPN site? Oh, look, you could do exactly that. And really then what you're doing is you're the you're the front end and we're the middleware and uh, we connect you to the uh, the number of accommodation places that are connected to our system at the other end. And so I get uh, some sort of a ticket clip on the way through? Yeah, it's not on the way through. It's actually a referral fee, so you get it on the, after the event. So uh, this system is very different to a travel agent system and that is whereby the travel agent collects the money and then pays for the... A, the accommodation provider after the consumer has stayed there. This system, the consumer actually books and pays directly with the accommodation place, and after they have had their stay, the accommodation place then pays the referral fee for the uh, website that actually referred the customer through to them. Thank so from a hotelier or an accommodation provider's point of view, it's a much more uh, cash flow attractive model than uh, the traditional travel agent system. So, you know, they get the float, they get the money up front and they pay it back later on after yeah, the person's actually the turned up. Yeah. yeah, So the, the, exactly the, the affiliate fees go to you and then you disperse it back out to the affiliates? Had it or yeah, goes, correct. Yep. Well, when we uh, launch our site, uh, when we do our media launch in July this year, our site will be able, our middleware will be able to connect a single website to over 100,000 different accommodation places. So, you know, one of the big roles that we play is the actual collection of that referral fee and then remitting it back to the referring website. And and how do you do that? Are you just going to uh, chuck it in a bank account or PayPal account or send them a cheque? Yeah, or... exactly. It, it's just all via our whole system. It's built on Oracle and 
we've got an Oracle uh, ERP system, which is basically accounting and reporting system, and that then uh, tracks every booking, collection of the payment, and then remitting back to the referring website. So it, it's just a process that if an individual website had to uh, to, to carry out that process, it would probably make it, uh, you know, it wouldn't be cost effective and as a result, you wouldn't offer that service to the people who come to your website. Mm. And does it do uh, airfares as well or just accommodation? Yeah, no, look, the whole system's really just concentrating on accommodation. We find that, um, you know, the airfare market is pretty well covered uh, and then predominantly that is direct with the airfares or through uh, you know, websites like Webjet who cover all the airlines, but um, it, it's a lot less fragmented industry. I mean, the reality is when you talk about airlines in Australia, you, you're really only talking about Qantas, Jetstar and Virgin. But when you're talking about accommodation, there's actually about 15,000 different places that sell accommodation in Australia. So the fragmentation in accommodation is really quite large, and that is the challenge for consumers websites and the accommodation providers themselves to be on a platform that allows them to be easily found and booked. You, you mentioned that there's going to be something like access to 100,000 different places. Is this uh, Australia-wide or does it go outside of Australia? Oh, no, that's uh, globally. So within within the Pacific, there'll be just over 10,000 different places you can book by 1 July this year. Yep. But uh, as time goes on, you know, I can imagine... If we're um, as successful as we think we will be, then you know the the numbers will be well past the million because there really is just that many places. When you're thinking everything from a holiday house through to a five-star hotel in a CBD area, I mean, and globally the, the numbers are really quite staggering. Yeah, I bet. Now, I mean, I like the idea of the affiliate cell, uh, particularly as somebody that's. You know, we, we, we have a fair amount of traffic coming through the TPN site and we're always looking at more ways of scamming a buck. I mean, providing them with value-added services. And uh, uh, one of my uh, questions, though, would be as an affiliate, if, if, if you know, one of our listeners says, yeah, well, you know, we want to support TPN, so we're going to book some accommodation. We'll do it through the, the TPN travel site rather than do it some uh, other way. And uh, let's say they have, a, they have a bad experience uh, when they come and complain to me, what, what happens then? Oh, well, really what you're using is you're using the, the business-to-business uh, software that we're providing, which is Global Accommodation Search. And just like if you were connected as an affiliate to Google, if the customer, your customer, came from your website and went onto Google and found an accommodation place, I mean, really, at the end of the day, you and Google can't be responsible for that accommodation provider. And the same thing uh, applies here. The only difference is that there'll be the opportunity for all of the consumers, regardless of what websites they go on to, then enter the, you know, their comments back on those properties and you know, call it blog, call it what you like. But um, there'll be a consumer rating that appears there as well. So really, at the end of the day, the experiences will be driven by the consumers themselves because when you're talking about such a multitude of properties, there's no way any one uh, person or body or company can be responsible for the experience that the consumer is going to have at all those different places. So really, you know, you can see the whole way the web's going now and it's all about consumers rating their experience, whether it's uh, accommodation or reading a book 
book or you know how they feel about the weather in a, in a particular city it, it just comes down to consumers you know going online and telling their experiences and that will really decide on what properties get bookings from people because it'll be driven by the consumers themselves yeah absolutely i mean uh, it's it's kind of I, I won't book anything particularly overseas now unless i can find it highly recommended by a bunch of people on a site with mm. user ratings like that oh look i think it's the way of the world and and look we're, we're not a booking agent and we're not uh, a travel agent we're 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 in search and we're helping uh websites connect to accommodation places and really at the end of the day it, it comes down to the consumer what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to search, compare, see availability, and then be able to book and pay direct with the place. Now, the actual uh, the buyer beware comes in because you are the consumers making their own decision. All we're doing is is sorting the properties in an order that makes sense and uh, it allows the consumer to do it quickly. The the research and uh, what the actual consumer requires when they make their booking comes back to the consumer. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, look, Rome Freeze, it's not a consumer company where people can call us and ask us what our thoughts are. I mean, it really is like Google. It's a search engine, and uh, the, the difference is, is we're sort of deep vertical integration where, you know, Google's very much a broadsheet newspaper. Yeah. Is there any margin in accommodation bookings? I, my understanding was that it was a fairly skinny business. Oh, look, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a skinny business, but the actual ticket item here is, is a lot more than other industries because, you know, if somebody's booking a week of accommodation, it could be anywhere from, you know, $700 to $5,000, depending on the, the quality of the accommodation that the consumer's booked. So when you talk about those sorts of numbers, I mean, obviously it's it's attractive if you can get volume and uh, the ticket item's high enough. So as opposed to, say, selling tickets to a concert that are $20 each, uh, there's a lot, it's a lot more attractive than other industries. Yeah, okay. Let's, uh, if we can, just step away from Rome through for a second, talk about um, being an entrepreneur in Australia, particularly an online entrepreneur. Um, now, I am aware that uh, in 2005, you were one of the winners of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Congratulations. Yeah, fantastic. Another mate of mine, coincidentally, uh, won it last year, uh, the boys from Atlassian. Oh, okay, right. And uh, they said it was a tremendous experience. So they're, they're young fellas. They're only in their uh, sort of early 20s, but uh, they, they've got a software company they've been running for a few years. Tell us about... Uh, you know, your first business, I, I know you sort of started the schoolies thing when you were early 20s. Was that your first business or had you done something before that? Oh, look, no, look, you know, being an entrepreneur sort of just always been in my blood, I guess. I mean, the first business I had where I actually employed someone was when I was in grade seven, which was primary school in Queensland. And um, I lived in a place called Harvey Bay and they had water <laughs> restrictions up there. So um, I actually had a contract to water lawns at uh, pensioner units and uh, I got $2 an hour and I employed other kids from school for a dollar an hour so um, you know it was sort of my first step into business so I had uh, three or four kids every afternoon on hoses at different pensioner blocks and uh, I went around and you know kept the relationships up and collected the money and paid the staff so that was sort of the first foray into uh, business so when you were 12 yeah, I was 12, and uh, one of the guys that uh, was the second employee actually 
still work with him now. So, um, you know, it's been a great journey for us, you know, sort of over a period of nearly 30 years. Mate, I grew up in Bundaberg, just up the road from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know what uh, water restrictions are like down up there. So, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things. And with the sort of ballooning uh, population of pensioners and uh, there was only a couple of hours of the day you could water lawns and they were in the absolute uh, hot part of the day so it was a crazy time to be watering but um, it was very uh, opportune for a young fellow who was trying to make a few dollars. I'm interested in that because we've I've done a couple of shows recently talking about teaching entrepreneurship to kids. We had a guy on from uh, I think Philadelphia who uh, apart from running his own software business, uh, also runs an organisation that teaches entrepreneurship to teenagers. And I've got two young fellas, uh, twins that are six, and they've both been talking to me recently about starting their own business. And we've been writing business plans on different things that they could do. And they're really, you know, getting into the whole idea of using their uh, pocket money as their startup capital and figuring out the rates of risk and return. Tell me about how you got started with your own business at 12 did you have parents that uh led you into this or did you do it just on your 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 own oh look you know no it was my parents were had, were previously farmers and um they would come off the farm because things were incredibly tough so I, I guess maybe from the point of view that uh my family had always been in business so i I guess I thought that that was a pretty normal thing to do as opposed to kids whose parents are working normal employee-type jobs. But, um, but, you know, they didn't sort of promote it one way or the other. It was more sort of, uh, it's in, you know, it's either in your system or it's not. So I think uh, teaching people how to be entrepreneurs is actually quite entrepreneurial because I don't think it's something that you can learn. I think it's something that's in your system. So... If you've got a situation where your young guys are asking, I think it's because that's what they're always going to be. Yeah, we. I spoke to this guy who was on my show a couple of weeks ago about that. I, I wonder if, yeah, I wonder if it's something that can actually be taught, or if it's something that you know is, is yeah, inside look, of. Yeah, I think that uh, you know it sort of be as silly as asking someone who wins the hundred meter sprint at the Olympics, could you run a school to teach people to become Olympic champions? And you know the the answer to it is no. I mean, of course you can take people who've got the potential to become Olympic champions and you can hone their skills and make them better but unless someone is uh, born to be a a champion runner they are never going to be a champion runner unless someone's born to be an entrepreneur they'll never be an entrepreneur yeah I tend to agree with you so the schoolies thing how did you jump onto that where did the idea come from oh look I was I'd started the sporting group uh, groups before that and uh, I was actually talking to a guy about organising uh, his trip for himself and his sporting team and he just said to me that uh, he wished that he'd spoken to me earlier because he'd just finished organising his son's trip and uh, when I asked him what club his son played for he said oh he doesn't play for a club he's just finished his HSC he's going up there with his mates and I said oh he's going to go to Schoolies Week and this was in Sydney and he said he couldn't believe that I knew the name Schoolies Week this is back in 1989 and I said look being from South East Queensland um Everybody knew the name Schoolies. And uh, I sort of went from that meeting and thought to myself, gee, if if no one in Sydney knows about this, maybe I should start promoting it. And, um, you know, sure enough, I, I, I printed a brochure and, and sent it out to a few of the schools and kids started booking immediately. So it was sort of just one thing led to another. And I think in 1991, I um, registered the uh, trademark Schoolies and by about 1996, I had registered the domain name Schoolies.com. So... You know, if you go to schoolies.com now and certain monthly 
the year. It's one of the most sought-after websites in um, tourism in Australia. You had some issues with the uh, trademark of schoolies, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Look, people were using it and, uh, you know, at times uh, we probably got a bit too defensive, but um, it's one of those things the government allows you to uh, register trademarks, but then they don't uh, have much of a policing system involved, so it, it sort of really comes down to the owner of that trademark to to fight for that ownership. So it seems to be a pretty grey area, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, registering it served us really well because it gave us the the sort of the mental picture that we own something and that we should really promote it. And I think that that sort of ownership gives you the confidence to go out and spend you know, a lot of dollars on, on marketing and really without marketing, uh, you know, most companies just can't make it. So from that point of view, it was it was a great decision to trademark it. So I think in future times, I'll always trademark again, but I, I wouldn't put as much emphasis on trying to protect the trademark. It's more just for your own position to feel that you, you own something, so therefore you should start promoting it. Yeah. In terms of uh, funding the the schoolies business, the break free business, it sounds like it uh, sort of took off. Was it was it funded just through cash flow in those early years? Oh, look, I was really lucky. I played football for the Swans for about three years in Sydney, and um, I made a bit of money out of that. So, so from nineteen to twenty two, I I sort of had three years there, not going out socially, just training and playing. And you know, over that period, I, I saved about seventy thousand dollars. So. The business, you know, uh, break free, which ended up selling a couple of years ago. There was all funded from that initial seventy thousand dollars, <laughs> and uh, you sold it for a lot more than that, I think. Oh yeah, look, the company today, the value of the shares that uh, were were sold into MFS is about seven hundred and fifty million. So, you know, it's a great story from um, from a very humble beginnings, but uh, you know, obviously. I'm, I didn't have the whole seven hundred and fifty million because as I went along, I kept raising money and and had more and more partners. But I, you know, obviously it was still a, a financially a very rewarding thing for me. So, you know, from that point of view, it was a great return. I think uh, my return on investment was something like about three or four thousand dollars for every dollar I invested. So, you know, I was really happy with that. Tell me a little bit about your experience after you floated the company. I've got a, a few mates that have floated companies over the last few years, and uh, their, their advice to me is, don't do it. Don't do it. It's just the regulatory stuff's an absolute nightmare. I think most of them are wishing they could uh, go back to just having some investors and not being publicly listed. Did you find it was a difficult experience? Yeah, look, it's certainly a big learning experience. I think the... Um the type of person who could be the CEO of a, a public company is sort of the sort of person who was probably the school captain. It's it's very much a regulated environment, so you really need that sort of person who's that perfect citizen, and quite often the entrepreneur part of uh, a person doesn't fit that well in that sort of environment. But um, in saying that, I mean, it was a great experience, and Rome Free, you know, our aim is that we'll um, take this to to market as well in the next three to five years so you know whether I'm a glutton for punishment or I um, you know, really enjoyed it I'm not too sure but uh, it'll be definitely something that I'll do again in my lifetime I know you've been doing a number of uh, acquisitions under Rome Free, uh, how are you funding it the business today, is it privately funded? Yeah look it's pretty much just the group of guys that were in break free from the start and you know we're, um, we're lucky enough to have you know made that money so we've uh, We've sort of pooled, uh, you know, some really good resources, and we've got fifty million dollars there 
that we can tip into as we see fit to use. So, you know, at this stage we've used, uh, you know, I think about six or seven million dollars and, you know, so we've got plenty of cash reserves and the business is starting to operate really well now. So, you know, as we go forward, we'll just reassess it and if there's a really great opportunity and it's more than what we can afford, then, you know, that's when we'll look to bring in other investors and, you know, grow that uh, shareholder base and, you know, just sort of take each acquisition as it comes. So uh, how do you find the online business then in Australia? Uh, in Going out and talking to these uh, accommodation venues, are you finding that businesses that you're dealing with are seeing online as the future for their business or are they still struggling with the idea? Oh, look, you know, we've got salespeople out there in the field and for every five uh, accommodation places they go into, one of the five sign up immediately. So 20% of people... Uh, you know, recognise and will act on it immediately. You know, out of that, the other four, probably one out of five says, oh, look, I'm not interested. It's not something that I think I need to embrace. And then you've got three out of five who, you know, over a period of whether it's, uh, you know, six weeks or six months, pretty much convert across as well, you know. So I'd say 80% of the industry uh, over a six-month period from us visiting them actually make, you know, go ahead and make a make a decision to actually change their online um, capabilities. You were a pretty early adopter of the whole online travel booking system. Uh, what have you seen change in the online space since you first jumped on board? Oh, look, the biggest thing that's changing is the, that consumers want the ability to be able to search, compare, and then be able to book and pay. And they want to be able to book and pay online real time and the biggest thing that's going to change is within five years time there won't be a website that you can go to that you can't book and pay online real time uh the old sending of the emails to see if there's availability will disappear within the next five years and i, and I think that you know people talk about statistics of what percentage of bookings are coming through the internet now and you know, I see some crazy uh, research that says it's sort of as high as 30 or 40% of all bookings. I mean, given that we're out there at the grassroots level and 90% of people don't even have the ability to take bookings online real time, my guess would be that it's well less than 1% of the total bookings are actually transacted online. So I think the industry is going to grow maybe 50 or 100 times and companies like uh, What If and Webjet uh, really positioned, you know, very, very well, and I could see those companies growing tenfold in the next five years. Yeah, I remember back in the late '90s and even into the early 2000s, you would hear a lot of stuff in the mainstream media about people's reluctance to give their credit card number online, and the you know incredible instance of credit card fraud online, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You don't uh, see much of that by the sounds of it. Do you think people are fairly comfortable putting their credit card online these days? Oh, look, I think it's so amazing that in 2002 we launched breakfree.com.au for our resort chain and we went to bed that night, the morning we woke up and there's a family in Ireland had gone on to Yahoo, searched, found us and made a booking for their holiday coming to Australia and um, I think the booking was something like $7,000 and they paid for it all online that night, the first day our site was ever launched, so... To me, um, you know, there's obviously some sort of level of fear out there that there's credit card fraud, but there's credit card fraud when you go into a service station, you know, and someone in there takes a copy of your credit card. So 
I, I don't think it's any worse online than it is when you're using it at bricks and mortars. So, um, look, I think that that's just a challenge. And, you know, as uh, systems get better and better, you'll see less and less of it. So I think in five to ten years' time, you know, for accommodation, you know, 90% of all bookings will be online. Yeah, I agree. One question, final question, Tony. I, I like to ask when I have entrepreneurs on the show, it seems to me there's a one of the psychological differences between entrepreneurs, successful or not, and people in the, the workforce seems to be a certain risk profile or the attitude towards taking risk. Can you explain to me a little bit about your personal attitude towards risk or even failure? I, I sense that with most entrepreneurs, there's less of a concern about having a crack at something and making mistakes Whereas a lot of people seem to think, well, I wouldn't like to leave my job, leave my job and start a business because what if it didn't work out? Explain to me your your, your sort of thought process around taking risks. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think that uh, the biggest driver for me, even in Rome Free, and um, the same thing has applied probably since I was 12 years old, but uh, the greatest reason for success is the fear of failure. And um, as a person... You know, I'm very proud of what I do and I really fear failure. But um, to not put yourself into a position to fail is to underachieve. So from where I sit, you know, my my driving force is all about, you know, not failing but always putting myself in a position to fail. And if uh, if I'm not doing that then I sort of feel like uh, I'm missing missing out on a lifetime of opportunity. So the minute I um, feel that I've succeeded, I, I set new targets and I set myself to fail again. And then, uh, you know, the first thing I do is I say, oh, look, I don't want to fail. I'm going to have to meet this target. So it's just it's just a reoccurring process that just keeps happening in my mind. And, uh, you know, it controls me rather than me controlling it. You think that was something that uh, is a result of your genes or is it something that you, you figured out along the way? Yeah, no, look, I think that uh, <laughs> it's probably genetic, a good part of it. But, you know, I, I think there's there's different sorts of entrepreneurs and there's there's people who sort of don't fear failure. And I think uh, more often than not, those people uh, make a million a lot of times and they go broke a lot of times. But mm-hmm. uh, there's other sorts of entrepreneurs who, who really fear failure and I'm one of those and they're the sorts that cross the T's and dot the I's and you know, really drive the process to make sure that, uh, you know, there is no failure. But the people who sort of sit there on the fence and they say, look, I'm better off to stay in the safety of my own job, I really feel that, you know, at some point in their life, they're going to be, you know, discontent with what they've achieved. And, and for me, you know, to go through life and be wishing I was doing something else, you know, it's just not an option. So I think that, you know, when people sort of sit there on the fence and they do that, they really need to reevaluate what they want out of life. And if what they want out of life is to 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 take on things that are away from the comfort zone, then they've just got to plunge, you know, take a jump and get into it and, and then work really hard to make sure it succeeds. Roamfree.com, Tony, when, does it, when can people go and check it out? Oh, look, you know, our official launch is in, actually in July. Our soft launch is this month, so... You know, sometime this month, probably, uh, you know, I think it's 16 April we're aiming for is our soft launch. People can go on there and use it and um, and away they go. But we're st- it's really a external beta testing for three months. So, And then in July we'll we'll start our media machine and, and that's when people will start hearing about it in mainstream media and, and in uh, press. 
this is the first video I've really given on the whole roamfree.com thing, but um, you know, as, as it stands, you can go to our web not, website now and it says that it's coming. So, you know, on the 16th of April is when we're planning to sort of have our soft external beta test. Uh, so, you know, really it's from that date. Well, I appreciate the scoop then, mate. Yeah, so, mate, world first. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'll, I'll add that uh, to the, our press kit. Uh, Tony Smith, thanks very much for taking the time to come on the show, mate, and all the best with the venture. It sounds like it's uh, very exciting times ahead. Great. Good on you, Cameron. Thanks, mate.